Friends, it is a joy to bring God's Word to you. Uh, Would you please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're taking notes, I have a sermon entitled, A Zealous People. A Zealous People. I want to read to you God's holy Word. What a privilege it is to do so. Romans chapter 12, verse... 11. One verse for us this morning. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Let me pray. Our God and Father, I ask that you may bless the reading and the preaching, and the applying of your holy word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was September 30, at 10.35 a.m., because we were a little bit late, as we walked into our very first Sovereign Grace Church Sydney service. We're at Normanhurst Boys High School in their hall there, And as we walked in, we were greeted by the lovely Glenn Thompson, and we found our seats next to Janelle Pierce. And Maddie and I were there, standing there, holding hands. Maddie was six months pregnant with Evie. Uh, We were anticipating moving from Helensburg to Hornsby, as I'd got a job at Barker College as a Christian studies teacher, and we were looking for a new church. We'd heard about Sovereign Grace, we'd followed C.J. Mahaney's sermons, we'd, you know, knew there was a church planted somewhere in Sydney... And it just so happened it was right down the road from my new job. So we walked into the church, and within five minutes, we turned and looked at each other and said, this is it. The songs were playing, and it wasn't just the quality of the music, it was the quality of the people. You could tell by the way people sung, they loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all that they had. And this meant so much to us because we'd been in a, in a lovely little church down in Helensburg, a gospel-believing, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, but a church that, in, in our view, lacked that vital ingredient to spiritual life, zeal. And as we came into Sovereign Grace Church, Sydney, we saw zeal in the singing, zeal even in the notices, zeal in the preaching, and zeal in the people. And we were hooked. We didn't even look at any other church. We were done. This is, we looked online on the website and saw uh, the mission statement of the church and couldn't believe it. We seek to build a community of believers who are passionate about knowing applying and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a mission statement to get behind. Passionate about not just the gospel, but the glorious gospel. That book title, Truth on Fire, captured what we saw in that local church. And perhaps that's the story for many of you. Bible-believing, well-taught, perhaps in a really good evangelical church. And then you came in and saw a people who had truth on fire. Or maybe you came from more of a a fire, fire church, as they say in Liberia, fire, fire. (laughs) 
There's lots of fire, not a huge amount of truth, but everyone's really passionate, really excited. And then you came into this church and you saw, oh, we can have deep theology and study and Bible preaching and fire. And you're like, oh, this is home for me. This is what has marked us in Sovereign Grace for 41 years. It's what's marked us here in Australia, Sovereign Grace Churches Australia, for the past over a dozen years. But it's my fear, it's my fear that if we don't give attention to this virtue, we're in danger of losing it. In a post-COVID, as Brendan said, post-positive world, an apathetic society, zeal is not really a prized virtue, especially religious zeal. We kind of live between two ends of the spectrum, and I think there's a weariness that comes with that. Either you are just totally blown out by COVID and your life really, you've lost expectation. You've lost this sense of like, why should I plan for the future? Why should I be positive about the future? Who knows what's going to happen? And so I'll just dull myself with quick pleasures, little candies, so to speak, that go quickly and give you a boost and you scroll and you scroll and all of that. And you're like, quick dopamine here. But this zeal to do something great, this zeal to make a significant difference in the world, oh, I'll leave that for someone else. At the other end of the spectrum, the world is increasingly radicalized. And so there's all these people crying out for you to join their extreme team. Pro-vax, anti-vax. Pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown. Whatever it is, there's a strong opposite side. And they want you to join. And it feels urgent. And you might be caught up in all of that. But zeal... Jesus Christ is never going to be something that our culture is pushing us toward. And our tendency, our reality, and my fear is that if we don't give attention to this, we'll begin to neglect it, assuming that we'll always be zealous, we'll always be passionate. That's who we are as sovereign grace. And as we neglect it, we'll assume it. And then over time, over time, we may even begin to reject it. It makes more sense in this post-Christian world to tone down our religious fervor and be a bit more acceptable, a bit more tolerable to our world. No one wants to be labeled a Christian extremist. And it's not going to take violent actions for that to be your label. What you believe about morality or gender or sexuality can be, make you labeled as an extremist. And so I believe that our current danger as a family of churches is not that we are too zealous and going to be labeled as Christian extremists, but that we are not zealous enough. I think that's my danger. That's my temptation. Tone it down. What about you? Are you personally zealous for Jesus right now? Do you burn with a holy love for your Savior? 
Do you have a righteous jealousy for his name? A fiery love for what he loves, a holy hatred for what he hates. At the heart of your life, pulsating at the core of your being, are you a glad servant of King Jesus? Perhaps you were as a teen, a zealous youth. Or perhaps you were when you first came to know Christ. Or you had a mountaintop experience. But now, well, you wouldn't want to be considered lukewarm. But you wouldn't really label yourself as piping hot, would you? You may have had in the past bold ambitions to not waste your life and make it count. But perhaps now you're pretty comfy with a decent enough job, enough pleasures, a nice trip away every now and again, perhaps a family by your side. And so your expectations have dwindled and you're content far too easily. Perhaps even church and life group and serving might just feel like, is this a bit much? Do, do I really have to go all in? Seems to demand, so. can't we watch it online? Perhaps some of us may be danger in being slothful in our zeal. How do we avoid these pitfalls as a, personally as a Christian and collectively as churches and a family of churches? There's many factors, but one significant factor, I believe, is found in Romans 12, 11. Let me read it to you again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, zeal may not be a virtue that you think about too often. It's certainly not mentioned all that often in the Bible by word count. But as our Director of Theology in Sovereign Grace, Jeff Percival, says, we don't do our theology by word count. Zeal, if you study it more broadly, is actually a major theme that runs throughout the Bible because it's part of God's very own character. God himself is described as a zealous God. The Old Testament flips between the translation of zealous and jealous. They're kind of one of the same thing. He's driven by his love. That's who he is. In the book of Isaiah... There's many prophecies about what's going to happen. And the, the way that it's described by Isaiah is that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Isaiah 59, God the warrior wraps himself in zeal as a cloak. Or think of Jesus when he cleared the temple in John chapter 2. The apostle John described it from the Psalms, this prophetic you know, fulfillment. Zeal for your house has consumed me as the holy spirit exploded on the new testament church zeal drove them to leave the comfortability of their lands and spread the gospel all throughout the roman empire proclaiming contrary to the doctrine of that era jesus is lord and denying caesar is Lord. It takes zeal to do that. 
And it's not just zeal for love and passion and worship that marked the early church. Paul says to Titus to be zealous for good works. And the zealous for good works Christians have changed the very fabric of our society. The only reason we have the education and hospital systems and the care for the poor systems we had is because Christians were zealous for good works. So my heart behind this message, this sermon, and indeed this entire conference for us as two churches is to lodge a category in your heart and mind for your personal walk as a Christian and for your community in your life groups, community, gospel communities, and your whole church to lodge a category of zeal for the cause of Christ. One that is fought for, a category in our mind that we evaluate ourselves to as a mark of spiritual maturity and intensity, a category that we never move on from so that we would always be known as a people zealous for the name of Jesus. I'm going to explore this theme, this category of zeal under three simple headings. Three headings that I stole from Jeff Perswell, who was meant to be here and was meant to preach this sermon, but you've got me. Uh, and so my three points this morning, the imperative of zeal, the enemies of zeal, and the pursuit of zeal. Let's look at point number one, the imperative of zeal. You notice in this verse, though it's hidden, if you know Romans chapter 12 well, in a barrage of commands, that this verse is not an optional extra for the super Christian. It's not just for the passionate people in Rome. Like I'm a passionate person by nature. I do all things boldly, as Brendan said. I eat chips boldly. Okay, so, But it's, this verse is not just for people like me. Extroverted, loud, annoying people. This verse is for all the Christians in Rome. And it is a command. Paul doesn't explain it. He doesn't qualify it. He simply commands it of all Christians everywhere. Look at it in context. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. As essential and universal as the command to love is, so is the command to zeal. So what does Paul mean by zeal? What it actually is it? Probably as we've been talking about this theme, you, you, you probably don't have a, a strict line-by-line -line definition, but you can think of people that are zealous. You know, we think of, you know, loud people, <laughs> exuberant people, extroverted people, passionate by nature types of people. You think of hands raised, fist pumping, the Dave Taylor spread eagle. That's zeal, right? We think that's what we think of as zeal. Missionaries going to foreign lands, mercy workers giving up their comforts for the sake of the destitute. But, you know, us ordinary people who are overwhelmed at the sight of a sink of dishes and a report that needs to be written to buy tomorrow, we don't think we're zealous people. But we must be clear, 
Zeal is not a superficial virtue characterized by bigness, loudness, extroversion, or emotional displays. Because that would exclude so many people in the Roman church and in our churches. Zeal is not a personality type. It's not on the Maya Briggs. It's not on that other one, which, what's that called with the Enneagram, whatever that is. It's not there. What is it then? Well, look at the text again. Do not be slothful in zeal. The word zeal can be also translated, if you look at different versions, as diligence or earnestness or eagerness. The KJV has it as business. Do not be slothful in your business. So this word zeal means a resolution to complete a task with single-minded devotion, to have unswerving resolve. Jeff Perswell says, well, it's not mere passion or strong feelings or stubborn dogmatism or loud personalities is not sacred zeal. Sacred zeal is not only about the heat of our emotions, but the focus of our affections. Look at verse 11. We see that. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The object or the point of our zeal is not a frothy display, but a fervent devotion to serve Jesus. Sacred zeal looks like this. A life-altering passion to serve Jesus Christ. Zeal that is all show and no go is not true zeal. Zeal over non-essentials is not true zeal. Zeal which is passionate in song but not in serving is not true zeal. Zeal which is divisive, zeal which is harsh, zeal which fades, they are not true sacred zeal. Because sacred zeal is not only about the fervency of our emotions but the focus of our affections. That is, what rules our heart? What rules your heart presently? At the core of your being, what are you most animated by? What's most front and center? What presses upon you? What are you a slave of is another way of thinking about it. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That word serve there is not like serve dishes, like we're serving food. Oh, thank you for serving me. The word there is actually the slave word. Now, the Greek dictionaries define it as give a slave's service, obey, Bring all of your being under the mastery of someone else. What's mastering you? Or better, who is mastering you? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Be honest with yourself. Is it really him? Or perhaps it's your work, your career progression, Study and your attainment of grades, the pursuit of a lover, the perfect family, kids. I don't know what it is. It could even be ministry. 
rules you. You see, this verse doesn't pop out of nowhere. Romans is a large book. And where Paul is at in the book of Romans is he's just spent 11 chapters giving the most glorious description of the good news of Jesus Christ, of a holy and righteous God who hates sin, yet makes a way for sinners like you and I, who didn't have to do it, as we saw in our singing time, but did it out of sheer mercy and grace, and has pulled you out of the domain of darkness, brought you under grace, so that now you have hope forever and ever and ever, and nothing in your life can ever ultimately be worked for evil All things are for good. And then Paul gets to Romans 12 and says, Therefore, because of all that Jesus has done for you, live a totally, radically different life. Do not be slothful in your diligence, but be a slave of Jesus. And really, when you read Romans 1 through 11, how can you not give a total life-altering commitment to the one who rescued you from the pits of hell for where you are surely going? That's, that's what Paul is saying. He's, saying. he's done all of it for you now. Don't give up on giving all of yourself to him. He's your Lord and your master, not just your ticket to heaven. J.C. Ryle speaks eloquently of the laser-like focus of this sacred zeal. He says, A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It's not enough to say that he's earnest, hardy, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit, it's not enough. He sees only one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases men or whether he gives offense, whether he's thought wise or whether he's thought foolish, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all of this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. David knew that one thing. Brendan read it earlier. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Jesus urged Mary or Martha, who was busy with so much of life. One thing is necessary, Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And Paul said it so well in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is what we are all called to, every single one. Look around the room. This is not just for the super Christians. This is our privilege for every single follower of Jesus Christ in this room to be captivated, to be life altered by Jesus Christ and to have him at the center and everything else changed and in orbit because Jesus is in the center. Now, in case 
you think, well, maybe I need to quit my job and become a missionary and go somewhere else. That's, that's not what Paul says to the Romans. Most of them had to just live out their normal life. And you put zeal for Christ in the center and then it changes everything you do. Yuki Anazor, in his book, Overcoming Apathy, describes everyday zeal. He says, zeal is not necessarily about becoming a missionary or a martyr. Zeal in the day-to-day is about being alive to the important things around us. It's about being awake to God. You know, when you're working, when you're doing a spreadsheet, when you're mowing the lawn, you're awake to God, aware of His presence, calling, especially in those hidden moments of our day. Thus, zeal can take many seemingly mundane shapes, such as this, going to bed on time, so that we don't just lapse into our morning. It takes zeal to say, I'm going to bed, because I've got a, I've got a date in the morning with Jesus. <laughs> Committing to being with God's people every Sunday. Being inclined to say yes when asked to provide meals for church members. Being on the cleanup crew after a large event or give someone a ride to the airport. Dedicating ourselves to praying regularly for specific missionaries or devoting ourselves to understanding cultural issues with care and nuance. Zeal doesn't have to be booking a plane ticket, though it can mean that, and I hope it does mean that. I hope that Sovereign Grace Churches Australia is sending out missionaries within the next five years, sending out church plants and planters and teams. I hope that. But we're only ever going to get there if we have zeal in the mundane on Monday morning when you're not at retreat. When you make a commitment and a resolution to put Jesus first, and everything else like 50 times, million times away a second. So that's the imperative of zeal. It's a single-minded devotion to Jesus for all Christians. But this is in no way easy, in no way automatic, or Paul wouldn't have had to command it. This doesn't come easy to anyone. And that leads to our next point, the enemy's of zeal. Let's look at the text again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Clearly, we're exhorted to be zealous for Jesus, but Paul knows that we're going to struggle to do that. He's a good pastor. He knows, perhaps, he knows it personally, that this is not automatic. This is hard. This is challenging. This is my daily challenge. I am not automatically zealous. I, my wife will tell you, some days passion, some days depression. That's the reality. And it's probably the reality for you as well. And the challenge here is not just don't be lazy, don't be slothful but it's directed to that virtue. Do not be slothful in zeal. Not just don't be a lazy person, get out of bed, do your work, be diligent, work hard, but do not be slothful in cultivating and fighting for this particular virtue, zeal. 
he commends the careful cultivation and preservation of this vital virtue. Jeff Perswell illustrates it so well. He says that tend to zeal like a campfire in a barren, cold wilderness. You just can't afford for it to die down. You tend it. You stoke it. You feed it. Your life depends on it. That's your zeal. That's my zeal. That's why your zeal is so often not there because there's so much coldness and wind around it and you need constant tending, constant carefulness, constant attention. This is what the Puritans used to call the the spiritual discipline of watchfulness. It's the image of a, a guard on sentry duty at night on the castle wall looking out for the the enemies that are going to come. And the guard, their one job is to stay awake and be alert. They have to be watchful. They have to drink their coffee. They have to slap themselves to stay awake, do anything. Because if they let their guard down, the enemies could come and kill their entire city, their family, and their friends. That's what you and I need to do with our zeal, to be on the lookout. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 should be a life verse for you. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. It's not difficult to comprehend, but it's difficult to do, isn't it? Jeff Percival says, it requires constant attention, which is critical for us to be aware of because zeal doesn't suddenly vanish. The flame of zeal is rarely extinguished by a single gust of wind. Instead, zeal erodes. The erosion happens slowly and gradually and usually imperceptibly. And maybe that's happened to you. We need to be watchful, on alert, tending to that fire, looking for signs that perhaps our flame is going out. Some signs might be that you're just not singing like you used to. There's a consistent lack of joy, enthusiasm, astonishment, celebration, or triumph. You get to that part in Christ alone where up from the grave he rose again and you used to be like, oh yes! And now you're like, yeah. You're like, well, if you're really far away, did he? Some other signs that your serving went from being, I get to do this. I love serving my church. I love serving the blood-bought saints of Jesus. And now you're way more aware of, I've got to do this. I'm on the roster again. Your church attendance is slipping. Your life group is optional. When you wake up, what do you check first? What, what, what are you most excited to do when you wake up? Especially, you know, for me, if there's great sporting on as I fall asleep, I have to fight the urge to be more excited to get the updates or the socials, that quick dopamine hit, than to fight 
to sit by the logs of the scripture and be warmed in my soul. During preaching, perhaps this is a sign you're lacking zeal. Instead of sitting under the word, you start to sit over it. Either you're critiquing the preaching. Oh, they didn't do that. They could have done that. It was a bit long, a bit loud, too much. Or you're critiquing the word itself. Does that really work in our culture? Do I really have to do that? Another sign might be fantasy. Perhaps you started imagining what your life would be like if you could just lower the bar on your Christianity. Maybe if I didn't have all these demands, I'd be happier. Maybe I'd have like a greater life if I, I didn't tithe anymore. I hate the guilty feeling when I indulge in sin. Maybe I, I should just not care anymore and just go for it. They're all signs that your zeal has dwindled and is going out. The Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 were warned by Jesus. He said, I know your works. You are persevering, enduring under trial. You're working hard. But this I have against you. You have lost your first love. Maybe you've lost your first love. Well, if these are the signs we need to look out for, we also need to look at the causes. What are the enemies that might be taking away our zeal? They're the symptoms, but what's the root? I want to number a few for us. Number one, the deadening effect of sin. Nothing will kill your love, your zeal, your fervency, your passion more than sin. David said in Psalm 32 that his bones, in his bones he groaned and wasted away when he wouldn't confess his sin to God and others. If you're living with any repeated secret sins, it's almost impossible for you to have true zeal. Is there any small accommodation in your life presently that you need to put to death and flee. Charles Spurgeon said that for the tender-hearted Christian, even the smallest sin, the smallest accommodation can send us off. And perhaps that's for you as well. You've let down your guard. Secondly, the dizzying distraction of daily life. It's just so much. <laughs> you just go from work to study to family to technology to technology to technology to new opportunity to the next opportunity to the job lost to job gain to house moving, house renovating, selling, buying, kids, sport, all these pursuits. And once you place it all in there, there's just no room in your soul to even focus. It's dizzying because you're never present. You're never fighting. You're never saying no. It's just yes, and there's no room left. Well, this is my experience. I can be, you know, I have the privilege. My job is to pray <laughs> and read the Bible. 
And I, I can spend all day in my study loving, pouring over the Word, loving God, crying out. If you were in the office while I was there, you'd think this guy's a weirdo because I'll be yelling, I'll be praying in tongues, I'll be doing all types of things. But then I'll walk in the door and be assaulted by life and zeal evaporates just like that. And if I'm not wary of it, I can't fight against it. And I just bow to the circumstance. I love my family home. I love my kids. I love my wife. And I want us to love the Lord together. But life is just so dizzying and distracting, isn't it? Perhaps it's the perplexity of hardship and suffering. It's hard to burn for passion when you feel like the Lord just lays his heavy hand upon you. It's perplexing especially as it prolongs and seems to have no expiration date. That's the test of adversity. The opposite side, the cooling effect of prosperity. That's the test of prosperity. God doesn't just test us with hard things. He tests us with good things too. The Laodicean church in Revelation 3 were rich And they boasted in their riches. And Jesus says to them, you have like gone so far off. Be zealous and repent. Our prosperity can make us think we're better than others. We can be so drawn to our wealth that God just seems like, yeah, like silver or bronze, but definitely not gold. And not to mention the evil one. There's enough of a battle with our own flesh, let alone the enemy of your soul who will use anything and everything, big or small, to distract you. We need to be on that watchtower, looking for signs, looking for causes, on guard against these enemies which seek to rob us of our zeal. So how do we grow in it then? What do we do? That leads to point three, the pursuit of zeal. The pursuit of zeal. I was in Florida in February at a Sovereign Grace Global Leaders Retreat. It was a real privilege to be invited there. It was a wonderful experience being with various leaders from around the world, various leaders from the US. And one of the great sessions that Mark organized was to have CJ Mahaney, our founder, uh, give a message on, for pastors on watching our soul and, and self-watch. And at the beginning of the message, uh, CJ, in, it was just a lounge room, it was very, you know, intimate setting. But he said this, I have two great fears in my life. I wonder, you know, what were they? I wonder what the great fears of your life might be. Dying alone, contracting illness, not being significant, not being liked by others. Well, for CJ, his two great fears were this, that he'd cease to be amazed by his salvation and that he'd become a professional pastor. His two great fears were that he would cease to be astonished that God, when he was 15 or 18 years old, saved him 
took him from hell and put him in heaven. And his second greatest fear is that he'd become like a professional Christian, just doing the deeds, the form without the substance. Maybe that's a fear for you. It's a, it's a fear I have for myself. And it's a fear I have for our churches. And so how do we avoid it? What can we do? We'll look back at our text again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. How do we overcome spiritual apathy? The answer, be fervent in spirit. But notice that that is not a simple contrast. Don't be lazy, work hard. It's not don't do this, do this. The answer, be fervent in spirit, is actually the means of the way in which we avoid being lazy and the way in which we grow in our zeal. How do we overcome laziness and zeal? We be fervent in spirit. But what does that mean? Well, if you look at the footnote in your Bible, it likely says this, or fervent in the spirit. That is, Paul is most likely actually saying, be fervent in the Holy Spirit. I could give you reasons why I think that's a better translation. If you look at Romans 8 and see all the times the Spirit works inwardly in us to produce change, uh, the reference to the Spirit and then the Lord, the two persons of the Trinity in the same verse. It's likely that Paul is actually saying here, not you have to do these things, though there are things we must do, but that actually you need to be acted upon. You need to place yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to be, make you fervent again. Now that word fervent is better translated to seethe or to boil. And so what I think Paul is saying is put yourself in the path of the Holy Spirit that he can set you on fire again. Allow the Holy Spirit to make you fervent. Be made to boil by the Holy Spirit. And this is really, really good news. This is really good news for every single one of us because it means that zeal is available to all of us. Not just the select few, not just those by temperament, but you can cry out to the third person of the Holy Spirit, your great counselor and comforter, your guide, your power, your friend, and call upon him and ask him if you are lacking in zeal, oh Lord, make me boil and seethe again. Jeff Percival says it so well, zeal is not an accomplishment. Zeal is a miracle. No one is naturally zealous to live their life for Jesus. No one wakes up and says, I want to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God available to you. And your responsibility is to ask. Your responsibility is to pursue that blessing and to say, Lord, take me. Lord, work on me. Cause that to happen in my life. You don't need to be strong and powerful to be zealous. Instead, it's just the opposite. So often, strength and power manifest in false zeal. 
Because if you're strong and powerful, you'll trust in your personality or your professionalism or your performance rather than the Spirit to do the work. But if you feel weak, if you feel like this could never be me, if you feel pathetic, if you know the vagrancy of your heart, you can cry out, Oh God, Spirit, fill me with zeal. You can be like the hymn, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, don't you? Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. This is such good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. Zeal is available to you. This does not mean we sit passive. After all, this verse is a command not to be slothful in our zeal. And so there is a miraculous element, but there's also our responsibility, grace-motivated obedience, to pursue it. Can't go into all the details in this message of how we can fight for zeal, but I just want to give some broad categories. You must fight. (laughs) There's a positive and a negative fight. Think of that castle tower. You're on the watch and you must fight the enemy. You must be aware that everything in this world is conspiring against you being zealous for Jesus. The deadening effects of sin, the dizzying distraction of daily life, the discouraging perplexity of hardship and suffering, the dizzying influence of prosperity and the diabolical work of the evil one. You need to be on guard. That's your duty. There's the positive side too, though. If you go back to that castle metaphor and imagine enemies coming to the castle, the way you withstand a siege from the enemy is you have to have storehouses. When the enemy attacks and sets up around the castle walls, you can outlast the enemy if you have enough in store. And for the Christian, it's the same. There's a positive fight. We need to actively store up treasure in our hearts, the good gospel promises that are lodged within us, memorizing scripture, reading the Bible, the fellowship of the saints, daily prayers. All these things are not just things we do as a checklist. They're storehouses, putting gold in the treasuries, putting food and stocks in the treasury so we have something to last on when the attacks come. If you've been neglecting storing up your treasures, then when the distraction, when the pain, when the sickness, when the temptation comes, you've got nothing to go with and you'll likely be overrun. And so the positive side of not being slothful in zeal is being attentive to the means of grace. And you know them. I'm not going to go into them. Word, prayer, fellowship. It's really that simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. In our pursuit of zeal, we must recognize a paradox, though. Zeal is not the goal. Zeal is the the mechanism, the driving engine. The goal is Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus. We do it for Jesus, don't we? We do it for our Savior. And that's the best way to stir up your zeal, ultimately, is fix Christ in your mind. 
as your Lord. And in the full sense of that word, you're my king. You died for me. You gave your life for me. I'm your slave. Do what you will. I love you. That's the paradox of our pursuit, is that zeal's not the end goal. It's the engine that drives us back to Jesus himself. This verse is a gift to us, friends. This is a sweet grace from a God who loves us, who doesn't want you to miss out. Being zealous for Jesus is the best way to live by none. Otherwise, God wouldn't have said it. Being zealous for Jesus is the greatest gift you can give your friends and family. If we take this up and we pursue zeal, oh, what a gift it'll be to our spouse if you burn for love for Christ and invite them into it. I wish I did this better. What a gift you'll be to your family, to your kids, your parents, your siblings, if you love Jesus and you want them all in on Jesus and you share it with them. What a gift you'll be to your church. If you don't hide your zeal, but you let it go forward and you're burned up in it and you give your whole life away like so many of you do so well, don't hide it. People need to see your deep love of Jesus brimming out of a life of hard-won zeal. Be labeled a zealot. Don't be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. Set the temperature and what a gift you will be to your group. I was meeting with a brother recently at a, at a cafe and I just said to him, bro, I'm so grateful for your passionate desire for Christ. It spurs me on. I love hearing you say, I just want more of him because that spurs me on to want more of him. Don't hide that. If that's your desire, share it with other people because they might catch the wind. So friends, if you're lacking if you're desiring, you can come up for ministry time after the service for anything. It doesn't have to be for lack of zeal. But perhaps that is you. Perhaps you want to come down the front after the service and plead with God, your Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, to fill you with zeal. I commend you to do that. Perhaps you want to ask someone you trust and know, would you pray with me? I don't have zeal. It's not there. I need it. I don't even know if I want it. I'm not even sure. This sounds dangerous. This sounds like life-altering. Yeah. Turn to someone you love and ask them to pray for you in this. Because my fear is, is that if we assume it and neglect it, we'll lose it. I want us always to be a zealous people, burning, boiling, seething, in white-hot, wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. Let me pray to that end. Almighty God, I ask that you would do the miraculous for me, for my friends. May we be fervent in the Holy Spirit. May we be diligent, earnest, and eager in our service of your Son, Jesus. Would you help us to fill out the details of what this looks like in our daily lives? Oh God, would you move in us to feel convicted if we need to feel convicted, to feel encouraged if we need to feel encouraged? Would you use us as a body this weekend to minister gifts to one another, to spur each other on, to help each other reorient our lives if they need reorientation? 
We lay it in your hands, O Lord. And it's all for you, Jesus, because we love you. You're our everything. And may you be our everything. Amen.